You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This week, we are covering the Bombshell Free the Wizards campaign. If you want to call it a bombshell, I don't know. It's great. Uh, basically, we want to do this week kind of like a broad strokes. What do you care about as a vendor? We read all 100 pages. It was mind-numbing. It was fascinating. It was awesome. Yeah. And basically just kind of how we feel this impacts vendors on a broad scale. Uh, following that, we'll have an episode or two where we actually do a deep dive for a few key points yes. in this presentation and how that specifically impacts vendors. Uh, but for now, just broad strokes, what's the TLDR on this thing so you don't have to read through it? Yep. So up at the top, I want to say that I think the idea put forth by Alta Fox is fantastic. And it should kind of go without saying if you listen to what we would do if we ran Hasbro. But the execution of what Alta Fox is trying to do is a little... I put piss poor in my notes, but the more I thought about it as I was reading through this and talking about it later, and I'll, I'll dive into here, I think it's just because Hasbro is purposefully obtuse. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, like I said, later on in the notes. After reading through this and digesting the, the PDF that they put online, their little promotional video and touring around the like six-page website, this really sounds like AltaFox is just trying to crack the books. Yeah. They would love to get in and make sweeping changes, but ultimately what they're asking for is to crack the books. Why can't Hasbro be more forthcoming with the information about MTG Arena, about WotC, what they're actually making? You know, acronyms aside, what is their adjusted revenue? Why don't we know, on average, what players spend financially on Arena? Not just time. We have that data. That's available. But we don't know how much everybody spends. So Alta Fox, for everything they say in this, is really just saying... Be less opaque about yeah. your business, about this one entity that is basically floating your ship right now. Please be open. And the same goes down to Watsi. They also call out Watsi for their definitely piss poor messaging and community outreach. Yeah. So and I, I think that's something you and I have harped on is, you know, obviously the communication has not been great here. No, not at uh, all. And it's, you know, I, I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's nostalgia vision. I feel like it was prior to Hasbro. I feel like communication was fine. Like, I remember when the reserve list debacle happened. They got out of it, out ahead of it immediately. And they were like, hey, guys, sorry. You know, mea culpa. We messed up. And yeah. they haven't had that, like, communication and transparency. And, like, you know, what we're getting is, like, periodically, hey, we hired Huey to be in charge of competitive play. I think that's it. I think part of what it is is that there is a shift in corporate culture after Hasbro purchased Watsi, and the idea of an organizational evangel eventually cropped up. 
And what was happening at Watsi, and it seemed like we were getting great communication, kind of is a through line to now with their social media accounts, where they just post what they think is necessary instead of being a, somebody being an evangel for the company, being a face for the company. You know, not everything you're going to do is great, but somebody needs to step out there and talk about what is great about the company, and when they do something wrong, what they're going to do about it. That's one of the best things Steve Jobs did for Apple, was being an evangel for yeah. the company and the products overall. But that's not something Hasbro does. Both parts of the organization have that like old white dude mindset. And that's just something that comes with the times. You just gotta move forward and, and update your your, your process and, and your procedures. But I think if they had that role, you'd see a lot more of that communication. And uh, you know, part of that communication leads to some of the reasons why in my notes i said the execution of what altafox did was piss poor the data surrounding a lot of what they had to pull from consumer sentiment consumer spending habits etc had to be community sourced and there was a lot of uproar about that but the issue is that's the only way to get this data it's like yeah sure uh, the average spend per arena account is 101 dollars, according to a reddit poll that had 2700 uh submissions but that those are people who are self-selecting they decided to fill out that poll. Bad you, data science, sure. Yeah, exactly. You don't exactly know what the curve looks like, so you might have outliers on either end or both skewing the, the results overall, and thus it becomes basically bad data. But it's all we had to work with, and it's not that they used a Reddit poll to solution this. It's that they had to use one, and that when you get past the surface level which is everything to do with what's going on. You just have to get past the surface level, like crack into this chestnut, and you see like it really is this opaqueness around both orgs that formed this request. Um, you know, they have the right to obfuscate their numbers, but does it really help in any situation? Not for the last two decades, really. No, it, and it's it, the the thing that I think a lot of people are getting at this is they're thinking, oh, Alta Fox says they're doing something wrong, like their wizards is bad. No, they're saying that they are bad for shareholders. Yes, they're saying that the money they're making is not being reinvested properly. Imagine if we had a record-selling set like Dominaria, and Wizards of the Coast said, "Hey, we sold out of this everywhere, best-selling set we've ever had." Let's upgrade our infrastructure so we don't have production issues. Like, it's it's just that kind of transparency well, is what they're attacking. Watts Watts said, "Let's that. do that," but Hasbro said, "You know what? We need to actually bankroll our other failed projects, so we're just going to take that money out of your purse and move it over here because we want to make a third GI Joe movie." But we'll get to that in the deep dive. Yeah, but, sorry. That, that's what we found, right? So to actually get into the kind of meat and potatoes of this as a vendor, I would love to see Watsi be better represented on the Hasboard, which is basically what AltaFox is asking for. Yeah. You know, or for Watsi even to be released back into the wild and only have to answer to their own board. You know, I don't think Hasbro is serving Watsi well. We said this from the beginning right till now. And even at a foundational level, no. For the board... Or foundation of Watsi. Hasbro's really doing nothing for them. There's no clarity or messaging about exactly how well Watsi is doing, or even what the vision for the company is moving forward. Whatever uh, brand blueprint Hasbro has just does not really work well for Watsi and does not allow them to kind of 
create this future vision and future state that you, you would want for a company. What's your five-year plan? I don't know. Make more sets. Okay. What about digital? Mm, late to market, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll hire another dev team or outsource it. Who knows? Yeah. Like, if Watsi only has to worry about their bottom line and not pumping up the portfolio of a conglomerate who is seemingly looking at the brand as the profit leader, I would love that because Watsi again only has to worry about Watsi. They get to work on, you know, D and D. That's a fifty-year-long IP. Yeah. Uh, Magic is going on thirty years. Uh, whatever else they have tucked away in there. Uh, they used to have Netrunner. That's gone. Um, yeah. Robo Rally. Once that's the one. Time. I was like Robot Robot Wars. No, it's a TV yeah. show. Yeah. Or whatever. That was a great show. And Base Wars, the video game. Sorry, we're getting sidetracked. That game was awesome. Uh, right. Look, you can thank Jason Alt. He put me in a BattleBots mood today. Nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's it's especially it, and it it reminds me of and this is you know me being old when Wizards bought TSR and for a little bit you know they were like hey we're gonna we're gonna run this and like you know what no you we own you but like you do your own thing you you design your game you clearly know what you're doing yep and it's you know again going back to how design has seemed and everything it's just that lack of transparency that lack of communication almost a lack of ownership you know like it's hasbro is just saying oh well this is how things are why does it have to be how things are? Who's in charge of what? Mm -hmm. And just getting that amount of clarity. And, you know, to me as a vendor, this actually makes me a little bit more confident in the product. Yes. Uh, because, all right, now we have someone who is bringing it to the shareholders' attention, which at least once an episode, you and I mentioned that they're beholden to shareholders. Uh, you know, if you want to make them pay attention, hit them in their pocket. Yep. And if this conversation is now being had then maybe we can see some of these legitimate changes, like you mentioned on the If We Run Watsi episode. And I think, you know, hey, as an LGS, as a vendor, I always want more transparency, especially now in an age of FBA. I, I mean, literally getting the Crimson Vow email where they said, hey, there's been a delay, but tell your players they can get them on Amazon was the most infuriating thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine that's awful. And, you know, I any time that we have eyes on this stuff as a vendor, because backpackers like us don't matter to Watsi. No. Uh, you know, TOA, Star City Games, CFB, sure, they care a little, but at the end of the day, they don't matter to it's Hasbro. It's marketing. That's the only reason why it would matter. Uh, exactly. And, and this is now, okay, not for the sake of those people, because, you know, fuck them. Yep. But we still get to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, And I think if this goes somewhere, which I hope it does, that is incredibly good for us. Uh, because, you know, as an LGS, uh, look, why am I paying twice as much wholesale for collector boosters, which don't cost extra to make? Could somebody please explain that to me? That's something that I would love to see discussed openly and i think that this could actually go to like all right maybe not an economy where we the vendors have all the power but at least have a dialogue going back and forth again where we are now empowered to be involved in these decisions yeah one one of the things that kind of it's 
it's a little sweet and sour. You you look at this and you think, okay, we have sh shareholders and Watsi effectively a hedge fund complaining that they're not making enough money. Yeah. But again, that's a surface level thing. You move past the rampant capitalism and you say, okay, but what are they actually trying to do here? And it's let the game be a game. Yeah. Not a, not a toy. Let the company that knows how to make the game make the game don't handcuff them and like you said as a vendor i am very happy that a company whose business is making money sees watsi as a worthwhile entity one that is strong enough to stand on its own and keep making this game and yeah. i think that's what speaks volumes once you get past like i said the the rampant capitalism up uh, up on the top and I, that was kind of like it took a long time for me to get there in the pdf to really kind of understand yeah. this that like it it doing this gives watsi the runway to do a lot more for the game the players and the platforms instead of being handcuffed by hasbro to find margins and push profits as if it were a toy company i got that since i was reading through the pdf and eventually you do come across these chunk of slides where they start interviewing ex senior personnel at watsi and they basically say like yeah any excess profit we were we were squeezed for margins and we blew those margins away and then that extra money was not reinvested it was a one-way relationship that money was then taken and put somewhere else but to find a lot of those margins to make a lot of that profit they had to slash and Hasbro just didn't care. So when you're a, there's a difference between a toy company and a game company. And this like was an aha moment for me. Yeah. And um, what it comes down to is that a game can invest into streaming events as a marketing platform and effort instead of being treated like a toy company, which relies on commercials and ad spots for marketing. And that's what we've seen more of from Watsi since Throne. We've seen a lot more like ad copy than we have yep. focus on streaming because of course they cut streaming but they yep. maintain this weird ad spot stuff that they never really had that much of before but the latter is what hasbro is known for and it really just kind of leaks through you know think about watching you know tv as a child it doesn't matter what day of the week less less to be saturday morning and then you're just pumped full of commercials for the toys of the cartoons you just watch that's what Barnard Hasbro... Commandos was great. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, I had infinite little G.I. Joes, despite yeah. the fact that I didn't really like the series. But, you know, uh, the, the, real Amer... cool. the real American hero had like Sergeant Slaughter and a bunch of other uh, WWF yeah. names. So like, yeah, why not? Sure. And it's like that kind of mindset. That's that um, brand blueprint that Hasbro is imprinting on this to find these margins and find this profit. Watsi had to stop operating like it was a company that made a game and more like a company that made toys. And when you let them just run free, they can begin going back to operating like a game company, which is what I want as a vendor. I want my marketing opportunities uh, ripe. I want my yep. I want the, the top level brand to be doing it all. I want them to have their hands at as many pies as they, as they possibly can, support a large tournament series, support independent tournament series as best as you can, treat streaming your own tournament series and, and like, and all the way down to the individual creators 
as a marketing opportunity that it is lean in change that mindset that we complained about <laughs> at the you know yeah. in the new year like actually begin to lean into your product and trust it and enjoy it uh, pokemon just announced that they're going to have a digital product go mobile in beta soon you know they just revamped their digital client like you're going to get left behind if you don't keep doing this and pokemon is also the um, the pokemon company is streaming the hell out of their MOBA client. I think they just had a Worlds or it's coming up. They're really investing into streaming this game, their their platforms. And Watsy's just like, eh, whatever. Hasbro's not reinvesting. We needed the margins. So we just cut it. You know, mother knows best. Yeah, And exactly. I think that is kind of crippling, but something you really get to see when you dig deep into this documentation that Hasbro is basically doing Watsy dirty by treating them like a, co- a toy company, not a game company. Yeah, and that's, I'd, and it hasn't just been you and I. It has been other vendors that we have both spoken to that have said, since they came in, and especially after Secret Lairs and everything, they're treating it like a toy company with a new release every month. And, you know, wallet fatigue exists. Again, we're in year three of spoiler season, I think. Yep. Two, three, whatever it is. Constant spoiler season. Just constant deluge of information and it's almost like there's a loss of utility and like alchemy is alchemy so like if that format wants to change on the stream on on the slide fine you can have that format be fluid that's not going to be your bread and butter for this game ever give people time to play it and do what they want and treat it as a collectible card game which is what it is and that's what they're asking for i mean i i loved the old magic streams because you could see ads for obviously it was the big guys but i remember watching some like stores that had their fnms on stream or something and they would literally just like advertise some local company like they would mention it in their copy oh yeah, yeah. and you know it it was nice because you had tournament kits that like star city sent out when they were running their series when tcg had their series they had tournament kits that they would send out and Wizards had Grand P trials, PTQs. They used to support that at the local level. And they've gotten away from that and treated it like a toy release. And like you said, if this top-level company is involved, that tells me as a vendor, as an LGS, you care about my success. I'm not just a cash register to you, which obviously at the end of the day, I'm an LGS. I'm a cash register to you. Yep. Yeah. I know that. But if you care about me and help me push your product that's a mutually beneficial arrangement and it seems like hasbro has just said hey man we're we're taking it all in like yeah. you don't get anything out of us we're gonna take everything we can yeah that that's absolutely that's a wonderful point it, that's that's the toy model yeah when you were waiting for the new when when you were hunting down the rare figure in the box you were there at a big box retail store you weren't there at a secondhand shop. You were there at Toys R Us or KB or FAO, you know, yep. rest in peace, all three of them. Man. Killed by Amazon, which is basically what Hasbro knows now, aside from their shop and Pulse, which is also yeah. theirs. But yeah, everything boils down to, you're a toy, we know toys. Now get in line in front of Mr. Fucking Potato Head, but behind Optimus Prime. We'll deal yep, with you thanks. in a minute. Yep. Also, can you pick up Snake Eyes? He's not doing so hot. Like, Rip. yeah. Uh, it's I can't wait to touch on this more because there 
it's it's such a crapshoot. Everything, all the data that's provided makes Hasbro looks like they're wholly incapable of even dealing with some of their own brands. So why would we continue to trust them with, you know, I I hate people who refer to their team as when they talk about sports teams as like, oh, our team, like we need to, but like it's our brand. Yeah, imagine it's our game. It, it's it's what we deal with, and Hasbro can't even if they can't treat everything they've nurtured from the ground up properly. How can we trust them? If 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 they're treating it as a cash cow, how can we trust them to nurture the health of the product? Yep, exactly. It, you know, like, and look, Yu-Gi-Oh is a cash cow. They've perfected that model, but they care about their product because their constant release stream isn't new products every time. It's rehashes of old product, which is fine. Yeah, they, they figured out that tinning things doesn't kill the game. It makes it more accessible, and some people complain, but those are generally speaking the people on like the bleeding edge of playing tournaments. Like, yeah. Give it a couple of weeks, you, you'll get your $100 cards at nothing in a tin. Yeah. Cool. And right. that's kind of what secret layers do yeah. a little bit here and there, but uh, you know, that that's more of a variant in a collector thing than anything else. But yeah. I know, like... I know to, to to button it all up. I think the Alta Fox stuff is definitely worth. At, the pitch video on the homepage does not really do the service justice. It is really reading through the PDF to, to gain an understanding. Yeah. And as as a vendor, as an LGS owner, that that's the expectation I would set for myself. I wouldn't listen yeah. to any. I wouldn't listen to the little Vimeo short. Uh, I can't let social media sway me because people are taking screenshots of this website. And just editing the text because anybody with a web browser can open developer consoles and just retype anything they want. So it's difficult to figure out what's going on until you just sit down and dive through this presentation. And as a company that's going to be supporting this game, this could impact the future of how I support this. And I was trying to type something up and I just couldn't really think about how to phrase it because it still seems like super self-serving. But there's a chance that reading through this, I might actually want to begin to support the product more. That's that's honestly how I felt about it because like look, I'm all for conversation. Whatever, I've been saying for a while. I think Magic is dying through designer accident, and I think after reading this, the purely yeah. malicious design or incompetence, incompetent yeah. design, whatever. Uh, and this gives me hope that there are people who, while not in charge can start a conversation with the people who ultimately are in charge the shareholders yeah on what should be done here exactly and like even if this just lights a fire internally and the alta fox stuff really does flame out nobody gets elected to the board then that still can put pressure on the other shareholders to put pressure on the board itself to at least start digging into this stuff and i would be very happy as a vendor to find that that happens in time if it stagnates and we still remain in this kind of opaque area, then I'd probably be a little worried about what's going on at the top. But we can save that for a later date. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on before we move into picks? Not until the deep dive. Let's hit the picks. All right. So I went first last week. All right. So mine. Yes. Uh, you may recall, if you have been a listener, that in 2021 winter, I picked Fork, saying that, hey, this is kind of a like weird thing that it, we're just now starting to see a surge on this card because it's reserve list. It's played everywhere. Uh, 
and it was a low-hanging fruit for a long time. So at first I was like, I'll just pick Fork again. No, that was too soon. Actually, what happened was I said Fork and Reptar said we already did it. So pick another one. So I picked something similar. Uh, this is another market trend pick. For me, Tika's Dragon. It's cards reserve list. Uh, it's a dragon, and it has one of my favorite rules texts on it. Okay. Tika's Dragon counts as a dragon because it was before artifact creatures had creature types. Card is fine. It's a 5-5 five, five for 9 with Flying Trample Rampage 4, but it's 9 colorless, which is important because Tron, Workshop, etc. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm picking this card is because, similar to Fork, we just came off an all-time high, and we are now sitting at the new floor on this card of about 2 to $3 low. We're sitting at a market of about 6 to 7 uh, This is something that we're going to see what the timeline looks like. Currently, I'm sitting on about 30 of them. This is something you can still pick up in rare binders at stores because not a lot of stores necessarily paid attention to the low-hanging fruit on the reserve list. I picked up a bunch for like $1 to $2, yep. literally from stores or in trades or whatever. Uh, it has a ton of casual playability, being the probably the most popular fantasy creature type ever in Dragon. I just... It's iconic, it's fantasy, it's colorless, it goes in anything. That said, there's not a lot of utility to this card. This is purely me slumlording the reserve list, as I love to do. <laughs> Plumbing the depths. Yeah, because th the market is cyclical, and we finally have the first cycle of this card seeing the spike. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. now we can get in at this new floor. We can say, look, this is going to happen again. We're going to see another spike on these floor reserve list cards. This, however, is one of the few that I think actually has viability. Similar to Grim Feast when I picked it, it was a unique effect, and colors don't really do that. Mm -hmm. This is a dragon that goes in any dragon deck that's on the reserve list. So there's a little bit more utility to it than just stockpiling Sorrow's Path. Uh, granted, that card's worth more than Tika's Dragon, but that's because it's a meme. Anyways, I'd be looking at probably in the fall is when we would be able to offload okay. this profitably once the next spike hits to buy list card kingdom especially and mtg seattle low-key during reserve list spikes mtg seattle is the best buy list to use huh. because it is purely algorithmic uh... and they don't check it often which huh. is great yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah. they actually try to beat card kingdom on reserve list i don't know why whatever Good to know. Yeah, I I think you're looking at probably an August timeline. I really wouldn't go more than 20 to 30 deep on this. I'm at about my cap, unless I can pick it up from a binder for a dollar or two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it has that long-term reserve list going for it, and it is just a casual creature type that people love. I honestly thought you are going to tell me your favorite line of rules text was Rampage X. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> That uh, that comes I, in third behind banding. Because I honestly thought, like I, we talked about it before the cast. I own one of these to play in Bosch because it costs nine, so you just fling it. Yeah. It, it also is a, a flampler with Rampage Four. I thought that was flavor text. I knew it was a dragon. I thought it just got eroded. I didn't realize it had that last line of text. I thought it was flavor text when I brought the card up. <laughs> <laughs> it has since been eroded, but it still says Tika's dragon yeah. counts as a dragon, which is great. Yeah, it, this is an interesting card overall. Like, I think it just has pure utility as that kind yeah. of just re reserve list. 
uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Slumlord. Yeah. like It's just... reserveless slumming, but it has the utility of being a dragon. Yeah, it, I, I'll compare everything to Jock Lever and, and Wall of Kelp. I think this has more utility than either one of those cards at the end of the day. Yeah. And for so, sure. Yeah, and so I like it. You know, you can you can cast this, and it's a threat. You don't want to block this, some bitch. No. Like, uh, I mean, and you can cheat it out with Dragon Arch. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that's multicolored. What's oh yeah. The, the onslaught one, two creatures that share a type and cheat it in. Cryptic Gateway. Yes, Cryptic Gateway. You can Cryptic Gateway it in. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, Elvish Piper it in. There, there are a yeah. lot of ways to to cheat this in on the slot. Yeah. But I mean, overall, in terms of utility, I think it's poop. But. In terms of like another low hanging fruit reserve list card that you can just bank on forever, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, like I told you before the cast, I forgot this card was reserve list after I bought one for Bosch EDH and I just put it in like a pile of poop rares. Yeah. And then one day I was like, oh yeah, I have a Tika's Dragon floating around. I need it for something else. It's reserve list. It needs to go in the reserve list section of what I have. It's just there's a lot about this card that's on the down low. And I think that re- that's what's really going to pay off in the end, even if, like, in the next cycle or two, you want to move out. I think that there's going to be a lot more to do with this card than just its reserve list. Uh, yeah. Because it does have some playability behind it, and who knows? It, it's just a big, dumb creature that can do big, dumb creature things. Yeah, that that's really all to be on the reserve list. Yeah, like... Of all the res- cards you can see on the reserve list, this probably has some of the most useful keywords. Like, yeah. In, in terms of creatures, especially. Yeah. And for, for price, it's really hard to beat. You know, everybody wants to earn, own... Not everybody. I, that That's hyperbolic. A lot of people want to own a piece of reserve list, and there are ways you can do that with cards that are meaningful in a number of ways. And I think this is a card that is meaningful in a lot of ways and yeah. easily attainable in a number of quant- in a quantity that anybody would be happy with because it has utility behind it. It's not something silly on the reserve list. So yeah. I, I think overall, I, I, think I like all these specs. I, I, I really, really do. It just goes to the idea of, like, there is no bad spec, just a longer timeline kind of thing. So yeah. it's just a matter of time. Sure bets. Uh, for me, I I want to say I'm still slum learning, but I don't quite think I am. Um, no. It's not quite reserve list, but I am just slum learning enchantments. So there's that. Um, <clears throat> if you're in a, our podcast Discord, I put up a, a notice about this earlier in the week. Uh, Felidar Umbra was a card I didn't even know existed because it was only printed in Plain Chase 2012, Plain Chase Anthology, and uh, is a mystery booster card, and is an aura that only gives lifelink so i don't really use it in Zur. it's a little too narrow so it was just never on my radar but it went up on the ck hot list and there were like 25 unique prices on tzg player across uh, all three versions of this card i think so i just like i said this card was was set to pop and based on what we've been seeing on enchantments this is somewhere where i would be and, and the more investigation I, I i did on this card the more i realized that i wanted to pick it sooner than later and get some eyes on it because it seems to kind of be like to like some of the reserveless stuff moving on the sly. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity here. So, yeah, CK was buying 25 the other day. I think they're still buying 25 at $1.15, so we're not quite ready to arbitrage from TCG Player yet. Uh, low is a little over $2, and the credit on 2012 is about a buck fifty. But the problem is not many people have four. And if they do, they're charging at least double market price, so $4 or more. For, for those copies. There's one store that has like a dozen copies at every condition 
starting at four dollars it, it's ridiculous the quantity they have compared to everybody else but when you look at this card and the reason that i picked this is heading into kamigawa everything is either an enchantment an artifact or an enchantment creature or an artifact creature it seems but we did get a lot to put into that theme notably light paws and this card represents another tool in the kit not just for light paws but for heavy efficient auras based lists as long as they play white which is honestly the majority of them and light paws brings additional visibility to this card uh, as it seems the list of most popular commanders has been stagnant for some time so new general to the theme people are going to come back and see this card more visibility it's something we like to see just as the additional spotlight up top uh, the new general light pause smooths out the gameplay of auras lists because light uh, light pause has some really interesting text on it so i'll try and bring this up via eda track so whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control if you cast it you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that uh that aura and with a different name than each aura you control put that card onto the battlefield attach the light paw light paws emperor's voice then shuffle mana value less than or equal to that aura. yeah okay so basically you play an aura for one you get one you play an aura for two, you get a two or a one. So it just helps really s smooth things out. It fishes for very powerful game-ending auras, which means you want to play more of a quote-unquote chain of auras that allows you to find ethereal armor, all that glitters, ancestral mask quickly yep. and efficiently. So like I just said, every one mana value aura you play is an extra copy of ethereal armor. Every two plus mana value aura you play is an extra copy of ethereal armor and all that glitters moving up the chain beyond that umbras are incredibly useful auras affording an effective quote-unquote regeneration shield making your threats more robust and you can actually slide felidar umbra from one creature to another the activated ability is actually more of why i picked it than anything else so for a colorist and a white you can attach felidar umbra to target creature you control at instant speed there's no timing restriction so at instant speed, this gives you a layer of assurance against most forms of removal, removal, helping you fortify your Voltron-style game plan. And as an aura that offers solely lifelink as its buff, this isn't usually something that a lot of players look for when building an aura's list. They want more. That's why I don't run it in Xur. So even in a pillow fort for aura long game builds, lifelink alone is not really a draw taking a look at the card itself on wreck though we do kind of see this it really just doesn't show up in a lot of the aggressive auras lists we see low adoption rate across the auras themes outside of primarily model white builds because you just kind of pigeonholed like earl doesn't really run this that reliably um Zer, like i said doesn't really run this reliably uh the two that do are Krond, the dawn citadel and yeah. tiana ship's caretaker but be, just because they work really well with the idea of Tiana in particular, the idea of a uh, an Umbra when it goes to the graveyard, it just returns back. It basically, makes everything Rancor. And uh, to put a bow on all of this, the exception is that the 
quote-unquote chaining that light pause offers will start to be a pull for cards like this in particular as adoption of both into auras lists that can support light pause start to tick up yeah i i think the thing about this is twofold one as you said you didn't know it existed so i think low adoption may be a lack of knowledge which piggybacks onto point two it hasn't been printed a whole lot plane chase plane chase anthology neither of which really count because plane chase 2012 was an absurdly low print run set yeah that was the one that had shareless agent and baleful strix original yep. printings yeah that at one point baleful strix was a 30 40 card because just didn't exist shareless agent uh, because of legacy yeah exactly uh and so being from those sets and then you know mystery booster of the list whatever those like yeah you'll get them but not in a huge quantity. So I don't necessarily think, you know, seeing, obviously, they're fine reprinting it. Okay, if we get an enchantment EDH deck, maybe we have reprint equity there, but we would have just gotten it, mm -hmm. I feel like. Because Kamigawa seems more enchantment heavy because of shrines and everything, that that makes sense to put it there. I don't think we get it over the next few sets because Dominaria is Dominaria, Brothers War is Brothers War. Yep. Streets of Copernica is just Streets of Rage Cyberpunk. Maybe. I don't know. I I, I touch on a number of these points because I did the same like breakdown that you just did. But I do I do want to make the the point again that like it really is that adoption I think adoption of this card is going to go up as long as your deck can support light paws. I think these two are just going to go hand in hand and one be one is going to beget the other yeah so there are auras decks out there that don't run white uh like you can play mono green voltron like i do you can also yeah. play zer earl uh sram tiana chromium all these other decks are white if they can afford light pause then i think the if once the adoption of that picks up then i think we'll see uh felidar umbra tick up also Isamaru is on this list for Mono White or as General, and I think that card just falls right the fuck out of being a General in this deck with Light Paws. Yeah, not close. Absolute poops. Um, I'll skip over timeline, I'll, I'll go to the reprint equity thing. So, to touch on that, there, I broke this down into two pieces. Felidars and Umbras. So, Felidars aren't tied to Zendikar. I thought they were. I forgot about Felidar Sovereign on uh, Kaladesh, and we have a, a green-white Felidar on Ikoria. But I wouldn't expect to see Umbras or anything else with Totem Armor outside of Zendikar or Supplemental Sets, which is basically the case. So not seeing any Umbras in the last two return to Zendikars, it feels like these live in Supplementals, which to me makes this feel like a rather safe pick. A reprint in a Master Set does put tremendous a tremendous amount of downward pressure on the price of this card, however, as comparatively that would release infinite supply. Because, yeah. like you said, Plane Chase 2012 and Plane Chase Anthologies are basically nothing printings, comparatively. Like, Plane Chase 2012, for those who don't know, were four unique decks. It was sealed product, essentially. And you got the uh, set of planes. I don't have a box yeah. with me anymore. Um, a set of planes and one <laughs> deck, or maybe two decks. And it was, yeah. it was themed. And there were four total. So it's basically yeah. like an EDH product. It, wasn't, it was not a sealed product which is one of the reasons why Battleful Strikes and Charlotte's Agent were so expensive when they saw Legacy play. Because you only got, like, one, I think. They were uncommon. So maybe one in each Plane Chase deck, so you would have to buy four of that specific Plane Chase deck. Yeah. Because it, it was in two... They were each in two of the decks. Okay, there you go. So, yeah. yeah it, regardless, you had to buy four, deck, four yes. decks in order to get the play set. Mm -hmm. And 
nothing printing, sealed product. I mean, hell, Kamigawa just came out and the Kappa Turtles are already 70 bucks. Yeah, uh, Blastoise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, eight cast and Bomberman, but all yeah. Bomberman builds, so it's a little weird. Uh, so, timeline for this I think we're looking at a card whose price is based primarily on scarcity, not utility. So, as the price continues to rise, it hits stocks. We should start to see more copies at the open market, but if you can buy in now, I would. Just fly it up. Even as more copies hit the open market, the spike we're seeing might not retrace that much. And I think we're good with that. So I would expect if you can get in around $250 to $3, you should start to see immediate returns on TCG within the next three months and buy less within the next six to nine months. You know, basically what is the other side of a flood of quantity to market. Which is what we've been seeing with some uh, some of the older cards that I've been picking recently is we'll have that flood the market, and once that hits, that's when it uh, we'll start seeing it take off in a couple of weeks when supply dries up, because yeah. people just hold their cards for a while, they don't want to list them and rot, which is perfect perfectly fine. Um, uh, I picked up I think two play sets of the Plane Chase anthologies version, as I couldn't find enough vendors with four plus of Plane Chase twenty twelve in a condition that I liked at a price I liked. So Fair. Uh, for me, you know, that was it. I, If these dry up as I expect to in the next three months, I'd be happy on those two sets. I think three might be pushing it. Uh, I don't, Auras is not really that popular a theme and I don't think Light Pause is going to do a lot to change that. So this isn't a great binder card in huge quantity. But if you were to pull up on three playsets, putting one in your binder and holding the other two for Biolus is probably where I would want to be with this. For me right now, those two playsets are set aside just to, well, one's going to be for EDH and the other will be to sell. Or the seven will be to sell in time. Smart. So that, that that's where I am on this overall. I think it's a really interesting card. I couldn't find any auras that did anything similar at this low a cost. There's like there's something from Shadows of Innistrad, Bound in Moonsilver. Yeah. That can shift, but it requires you sacrifice. It's another one aura that it requires you sacking a creature. Yeah, and I think it might only be at sorcery speed, so it's just a strict downgrade from this. Gross. Yeah, there's there's just for an uncommon that came from Plane Chase, Chase, surprise. There's nothing really that does this as well as this. And I, hmm. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing to me when you talk about what it does uh neat combat trick yes first strike damage goes you can switch it to something else to give that also lifelink yeah i had that in my notes but it seemed as i was reading through this it seemed kind of irrelevant i was like that's just yeah. win more that's yeah it is, but hey it's edh everyone loves winning more right oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i'm not saying you can't or shouldn't yeah but you know um yeah it's, it's an incredibly unique effect and i think the, the thing to me that sticks out about it in terms of utility is the totem armor. Yes. Giving, you know, how many times have people played Bogles and just had to waste 12 removal spells on a threat? The one stupid Because yeah. you've got a three totem armors on it or something ridiculous. Yeah. I. It's weird. <clears throat> the majority of totem armors are really, really underrated for what they do. Like, Bear Umbra, I think is the one that allows you to, like, untap all your lands or something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. All the totem armors are are insane at what they do. This yeah. is just the one that is currently 
like the most mm, in-demand totem armor that you can really find. Uh, there was one from Modern Horizons 2 that I think might be uh, in a little higher demand. Bear Umbra might have been for... Uh, Jesus, Bear Force 1. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that might be the one I'm thinking of that was just in really high demand because of the, the fucking memes from Modern Horizons 1. Yep. But I, I think at the end of the day, they're all really good looks, especially, is it Octopus Umbra, the one that came from the Estrid EDH deck? It's another limited print run yeah. um, uh, Umbra that does something really unique. The only issue is it's in blue, so it doesn't really fit into a lot of Aura's base lists when you take a look at the theme on Wreck. You basically have, like, Bruna, Chromium, Xur, and then you can get, like, super-duper Voltron-y with Geist of Saint Draft. But yeah. I don't think Octopus Umbra is really something you want on your Geist because you just want to turn that bad boy sideways. And I think Octopus Umbra is all about blocking, if I remember correctly. Octopus Thank you, Scryfall. Uh, base oh. power and toughness 8. Whenever it attacks, tap creature with power 8 or less. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad for guys to say in Traft. I was wrong. Yeah, I, thought it no. gave, I thought it gave you the extra arms to block. Yeah, that's what um, I thought too. But yeah, like, I, I, this is, like I said, just another in a long line of cards that I think are currently overlooked for the base enchantment theme that, Kam that Kamigawa brought us. Yeah. And I hope to not have another pick like this next week because I just dumped the rest of what I literally just bought uh, on Monday into into the Discord and I think we'll be off and hopefully off enchantments next week but we never yeah. know maybe I'll talk about reality chip or something we'll see I think it's good though for yeah. sure thank you and it, the interesting thing to me too is when you touch on it there's like 25 unique prices anywhere and we still haven't seen a buyout and a spike to follow so this is a prime opportunity to just okay let's get in exactly yeah that, that's why i went from like hey by the way to okay this is i've got to touch on this because you know what if this just serves anybody who has them sitting in their back catalog too like sure yeah, yeah get ready the, yeah. this this should go so uh unless you got anything else i think we're gonna cut out all right so you know thank you thank everybody for uh listening we will be back next week to hopefully dive AltaFox a little bit more than we have today. But we are at, at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts exist. If you want to get in touch with us, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.